So this future that I had dreamed of for a long time, baseball, business, girl, everything was gone. And that was when I literally and figuratively fell to my knees like, God, I give up. Here's my life. I'm done trying to play the quarterback, done trying to play the hero of my own story. I am too tired. I am too broken. I've proven I'm a terrible God. I can't figure this stuff out. Here is my yes. When you find yourself between here and there, the now and the then, it can feel difficult to embrace life and all that it has to offer, especially when you feel like you haven't arrived yet. Wherever you're at though, we wanna help in that beautiful struggle of transitioning well through aspects of faith and life with The Places Between, a podcast all about transitions. Hi, I'm your host, Wendy. I'm a storyteller and a creative with a passion for adventure, fitness, and faith. What began as a love for travel, experiences, and community turned into helping clients around the country tell their own stories and inviting others to join them. I've always been passionate about people fully living. That means navigating those places between, opening up a safe space to have conversations and encouraging growth along the journey. So join me as we explore what it's like to transition well on the places between. Have you ever felt like something's missing or like you're longing for something you can't seem to find? Being in the places between can be really hard. It can leave us discouraged and even worse, stuck. And if you have ever been in a place where you long for something to change or to make sense of where you're at, I want to encourage you that perhaps it's an invitation from God to experience Him and come a little deeper. As someone who calls themselves a storyteller and a creative personally, I was eager to dive into not only the life and journey of this week's guest, but the book he wrote and the stories he would share. Bob Wheatley is an author, speaker, and podcast host. He helps people find the desires of their heart by discovering God through our favorite stories. He says his love for stories was fueled by a longing for God. What if the stories we have always been drawn to and perhaps thought were mere entertainment have actually been invitations from God? They aren't just stories. They are whispers from our Father, and He wants us to hope in His promises. Well, I'm so excited, you guys, to dive into my conversation with Bob. So as we dive into his book, Our Heart's Desire, and how our stories reveal the things we want most, why don't you pull up that chair, grab a cup of coffee, and dive in with us to The Places Between. Bob, it's so great to connect with you. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Me too. I am excited to get to know a little bit more of your journey and your story. And for listeners that might not be familiar with who you are, why don't you give us a little bit of your background? Who is Bob? Where are you from? Yeah. So I grew up in Southern California. Grew up in the church, 
I would have told you I was a Christian for as long as I can remember. I don't think that was necessarily true. And the reason why I say that is if Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I didn't love him. I might've told you that I did. That's the thing. Like when you grow up in the church, when you're going to a Christian school, when you pray before meals, before you go to bed, you think you're a Christian. But I think I was in that place where, you know, Jesus says people come to him upon death, you know, in the the last day, like, depart from me, I never knew you, you worker of lawlessness. That was me. I wasn't a Christian up until that point. I was more focused on sports, on girls, on this world, really. I was focused on the things of this world. Like I said, grew up in Southern California. I went to my dream school on a baseball scholarship. I went to the University of Southern California. Played for a couple of years professionally with the Toronto Blue Jays and St. Louis Cardinals. Again, believing I was a Christian the whole time. But God says, you shall have no other gods before me. <laughs> yeah. Baseball was that God for me. And it's not that I love the game so much. I might have even liked football more, as crazy as that sounds, because I played football in high school as well. The God was whatever was behind that curtain. Like if I were to get to the big leagues, the, maybe the money that came with it, the acclaim, the internal feeling I would have of accomplishing something that just seems so far-fetched, being a big league pitcher, like that's, that's yeah. wild. If I accomplished that, then, oh man, then I really would have made it. And I truly don't think I became a Christian until I lost that. Wow. That happened when I was 25. I had played four years professionally. My baseball career ended. I was a business major in college. So I was running a protein bar business while I played in the minor leagues. That was like plan 1A or plan plan B. It was right there where I knew whenever my baseball career ended, I would step right into that business full time instead of doing the back of the bus, you know, on my hotspot from a laptop thing. Like I'd actually start doing it. Baseball career ends, business goes under. And then a three-year relationship with a girl that I was head over heels for ended in a pretty ugly way. Mm. And that was all in the summer of 17. So this future that I had dreamed of for a long time, baseball, business, girl, everything was gone. And that was when I literally and figuratively fell to my knees like, God, I give up. Here's my life. I'm done trying to play the quarterback, done trying to play the hero of my own story. I am too tired. I am too broken. I've proven I'm a terrible God. I can't figure this stuff out. Here is my yes. I'm giving you my yes on the front end. Whatever you have for me, it's a yes. Six months later, I moved 2,000 miles to Nashville, take a new job, start a new life. And I have not looked back. Wow. That's incredible. So, so many of us can relate to not having a dream work out, whether the dream be like your professional career with baseball, or even like what you said, like the dream of starting a life with somebody and that ending. So many of us can relate to having everything crumble. 
at what point were you like, okay, God, I need you. Did you start noticing signs of that after the baseball career had ended or was it until everything was stripped away that you were like, okay, God, I need you. Yeah. I would say I definitely came to that moment because I specifically remember a moment of prayer when I literally gave my life over. It's like, God, here, here is everything. Show me where you want me to go. Show me what you want me to do for work. Show me who you want me to be with as far as a future mate. Like you can pick everything Mm -hmm. because I just lost all those things and I'm tired. I'm broken. I'm not God. You are. So here's my yes. So I specifically remember that moment, but as far as it happening, it was more of a progression in order to get there. Again, I go back to what Jesus said. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It really started. I was just really convicted in my sin. I started seeing the idols in my life, whether it was the baseball career, the relationship with this girl, my future marriage with her that ended up you know, not coming to be. I got really convicted in my sin. I truly did. And it was no longer like, oh, well, I'm, I'm a Christian. I have the get out of hell free card. My sins are covered, covered by the blood of Jesus. I'm good. That's not what scripture says. Sorry, just not. Like if you look at Hebrews 10, 26, it says, if you keep on sinning deliberately after coming to the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. To me, that is the scariest verse in scripture. I know some people throw out the, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many miracles in your name? And then Jesus says, depart from me. Yeah. I never knew you. Some people say that is scary to them. To me, I think that Hebrews 10.26 is even worse because there should be a ton of people that go through their life and don't cast out a demon that don't do some sort of miracles. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, well, that verse is just referring to like the super Christians that are on television and like they're making millions of dollars And then they get to heaven's doorstep and Jesus says, I never knew you, but that doesn't apply to me. Like, I think we very easily could say that as like the air quote, normal Christians. Yeah. But Hebrews 10, 26, that is a scary thing. Mm -hmm. If you continue to sin deliberately, if you know that it's sin and you still do it on purpose, Mm -hmm. there no longer remains a sacrifice for your sins. That is scary. Yeah. So I was just, I was really convicted because hell is a scary place. It's not meant for me. It's not meant for you. It's meant for Satan and his demons. Yeah. So I didn't want to be there forever. I also wanted the best. I want the best. I I want to be with God. I want to know him on this earth and in the life to come. So yes, I had that moment. I specifically remember the prayer, but there was weeks turned to months of increased obedience where, you know, I start listening to different music, watching different movies. All of a sudden I'm not cussing as much. Right. And this is like in 17 now, like I've read, I've read enough verses in scriptures. Like, don't say that, man. Are you kidding me? Like you'll have to give an account for every idle word spoken. What are you doing? Cussing. That's, that's, that's dumb. Yeah. That's worldly. But yeah, I think it truly took, failing and being in enough pain to come to that moment of surrender. I wouldn't wish the pain on anybody because pain hurts, but the result of that, I'm so grateful for it. It was truly life-changing. Totally. 
Wow, that's beautiful. I mean, it's it's also challenging and convicting at the same time too, because it's we are going to be held accountable. Even the thought of like having a podcast and like using your voice as an author of like that's an extra level of accountability of like. God, I don't want to be the reason that somebody else is faltering. Yeah. <laughs> I just applaud you for going after that and chasing after the Lord with your whole heart. Because how many of us at one point remembered when we were on fire for the Lord and then you're, you go through a menial existence in your relationship with God. And I remember telling somebody years ago, I don't want the difference between me and some of my friends who don't claim Jesus as Lord to be that I wake up early on a Sunday, but you can't tell the difference. Right. Because I'm like, if we know the Holy Spirit and He truly lives in and through us, then we can count on actually living a full life and living in that freedom that Jesus offers. I totally agree. I'd love to pivot just a little bit. Let's talk about this amazing resource and incredible piece of work that you just released. It's a new book called Our Heart's Desire. Um, Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. So exciting. I'm glad you've enjoyed it. It was such a great read. And for those that are tuning in, I shared with Bob before we started recording It was one of those books that I couldn't put down. I read it in three nights. I know someone has me beat. They read it in two, but (laughs) it's truly, it's so good. I don't want to ruin it for you. I'm going to let Bob do that. Let's talk about how the book starts. You talk in the first chapter, just about your heart awakening, a little bit of what you just shared, but you also go a little deeper. Can we talk about this first and then dive into the actual premise of the yeah. book. Yeah, absolutely. So, and it's not going to give away too much, so we're totally okay. fine. In chapter one of the book, I'm reading a novel. It's a science fiction novel, and I had really enjoyed the book. It was just, it was so well-written, totally engaging, and it's following this hero's journey. And there's a love interest, and it's kind of the, the she loves me, she loves me not for a couple hundred pages. And then ultimately, he wins the girl, he wins the day and the book ends. And as I'm replaying the story, I'm reading this and I'm not happy for the hero. I'm actually distraught because I'm just crazy jealous at this guy because there was a girl in my life, in real life, that I had been waiting on for quite some time that had said no. And the hero got the girl. And I was just so bitter, so bitter because it was like, like, why does he get that? Why does he get that? And I don't. As I write it, like I... I literally prayed in that moment, like, God, why didn't you let me be that for her? Mm. Why didn't you let me win her heart? Because he got the yes, I got no. As I sat there thinking, I started to really unpack what my desire in that moment was and why it mattered to me that I would get a certain ending or why this fictional hero's ending moved me so much. Like, what is it about that story? The hero, the villain, the love interest to be saved. You start in paradise. That paradise is undone. And then you spend 300 pages or two hours of a movie trying to restore that paradise. What is it about that story that I 
I just know to be good and right and true. Mm -hmm. And then I look at my nightstand and there's my Bible sitting there. And 2023 will be the sixth year that I've read the Bible in a year. I do it with a group of friends here and I will never pretend like I'm a pastor, theologian, expert on scripture. I will not claim that. But I don't have to pretend that I'm constantly reminding myself of God's story. So I look at my nightstand and I see the Bible staring me in the face. It's like, oh, now I understand. Hero, villain, love interest to be saved. You start in paradise, that paradise is undone. You spend the rest of the story trying to restore that paradise. The reason why I wanted that story with the girl in my life, the reason why I enjoyed it when this fictional hero got that ending is because that's the story we were born into. That's why it hits us. That's why we want it. That's why we keep telling it over and over again. It's not because we want to sell more books or get more streams on the TV show. We tell that story. We write it as authors or screenwriters because we're human. Humans made in the image of God with the DNA that says, this story is what we want. And it took that moment for me to realize it. Well, I love how you use different stories and movie plot lines, and then even stories from scripture throughout your book to reveal God's story with us. Can you talk about the risk that God took in creating us and then how we're actually the love interest? The risk that God took, it would be God. Let's think about his person. Let's think about his nature. He has existed forever in relationship with himself. That is the Trinitarian conversation, Father, Son, Spirit. That's how God can be love because there, there are others. It's like, you know, three in one, one God, but three in one, God was in continual relationship with himself forever. And he didn't need anything. There wasn't a situation where Father, Son, and Spirit, they have a conversation together like, man, wouldn't life be better? Or wouldn't like, these humans would really feel a serious relational gap that we have, like, you know, or, you know, we, we, the Godhead, we, when we looked at our five love languages score, like we really needed (laughs) the humans that like, he didn't need that at all. So God, he didn't take a risk in the authorship sense, like God above the story can't be touched. Like there's nothing that we could do that would make him feel any more joy or fullness. There's Mm -hmm. also like no pain, like we can't hurt him, nor can Satan, like he is untouchable in that regard. But as far as the risk, God was signing up on the protagonist level, the hero of the story to be hurt. Scripture is very clear. God is grieved by our sin. So that that seems like an interesting trade to me. Like you go from perfection forever in eternity past, Father, Son, and Spirit, then you create these, these rebels. Yeah. That, that's a big risk. But the end will glorify him even more. Again, it's a, it's a story about a character, the protagonist. God is that protagonist. But the risk is he was opening himself up to pain that he hadn't felt before. Yeah, that's so good. Well, and I even just think about the concept of free will and us choosing. Essentially, that's a risk there too. But what kind of loving God makes their creation worship them? 
the idea of free will that we get to choose God back actually gives God more glory. Well said. So you mentioned the idea of being God's quote unquote love interest, that it makes sense to you, but you still at the time, like in your writing, you're talking about still having thoughts of just wrestling with feeling forgotten. Yeah. I mean, how many of us can relate to that? There's a reason this podcast is called The Places Between. And in so many of those moments of being in the places between, we do feel like, God, are you there? Are you listening? Did you forget? Like, how long do I have to wait? Can you talk about what was preventing you from actually communion with Jesus? I would say what was preventing me was even before that, because I had misunderstood my role. You talk about the love interest of a story. I, as an athlete, was not a fan of that idea. Not at all. Because if a hero, if a protagonist is the main character of a story, every other character is there to round out or somehow influence the hero's story. So like if we use Katniss Everdeen in The Hunger Games, she's the protagonist. This is a story about Katniss. And then there happens to be other characters, good and bad, that help us to understand more about her and her goodness, maybe sometimes her flaws or amplified by those characters. And so what was preventing my communion with God was I thought I was the protagonist of my story. That was just, that was the paradigm that I live life through and that I have my story, you have yours. It's like dual protagonists, right? Which in a sense, there's some truth to that. Like I, I was born into this body. It's the only one I have. So like, this is the lens that I view the world from, but that is completely untrue from a biblical perspective. I am not the protagonist, nor are you. Sorry. <laughs> like we're, we're just not. And we're not meant to be. We're not meant to be. We were born into a story about God. Jesus is the visible expression of that invisible God. So our life will not make sense. Our communion with God cannot happen until we realize that, until we look ourselves in the mirror and say, hey man, you are a minor character. This is a story about God. Stop swimming upstream get on board with what he is doing. Like what we think about what Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So I didn't find my life until I lost my life. It's a simple formula, but the athlete in me, maybe the American in me really push back on that because it is, it is not very American to say, yeah, I'm a minor character and I'm cool with it as far as the communion, it didn't happen until I lost my life, until he became the the main focus of everything that I do. It helped me to look back into my past and see where I'd, where I'd gotten it wrong. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Okay. So there's this other part in your book that you you say that we continue to tell the same narrative over and over. What is that narrative? It's the hero, villain, love interest to be saved. You start in paradise, you spend 300 pages trying to restore that paradise. Just pay attention to the movies that you're streaming. Or like you look at The Lion King, right? Something that we grew up with, Disney movie. What happens? Hero, villain, love interest to be saved. You start in paradise. That paradise is undone when there's a separation from the father, like you know the, the protector of the realm. Yeah. 
that paradise is undone. It's handed over to evil. And then you have a savior who we're waiting for the savior to arrive. And then he shows up after, you know, being, being chastened in the wilderness. Like it's, it's the Bible. The Lion King is the Bible. It's the same thing with Katniss when she volunteers as tribute. It's the same thing with Neo in the matrix. Like what is Neo? N-E-O. It's the one. Jesus said, I am the way. Like Neo is Jesus. It's, it's all the same story, all the same, just with a thousand different faces. And yeah. the reason why it works is not because, oh, like we're just going to, we're going to parlay this. We're going to, you know, ride the coattails of Keanu Reeves and the Matrix into the next iteration. It's like, no, this is a story that is thousands of years old. It was written on the heart of Adam and Eve, it's written on the hearts of human beings. It wasn't created in Hollywood. That's the story we keep telling. It's the story we want to live. Totally. Well, and even how you reference Friends, like, or Shrek, but I have to say, I love that you referenced Friends. To those who are listening, I quote probably three dozen stories, a lot of movies, novels, some Broadway shows, stuff like that. But I wanted to ask you if there was one that stood out in particular. Yeah. Yeah. I love the Rachel Ross. (laughs) Grew up watching that show and feel like, I mean, I still watch the reruns and I can compare it to where I was the first time I saw it. And it's just, but it's so true. It's, you know, boy chasing girl. And it does. Every story parallels God's pursuit of us. And, you know, I love that you say like, God's message, like every author has a premise and the same can be said Mm -hmm. of God. And God's message for us is like, I love you. I'm God. I'm never going to leave. You can trust me to come through. But we see that play out in so many rom-coms and major epic films. Totally. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about the Rachel and Ross dynamic, it's very much a back and forth relationship. And like in the, again, I'm not going to give too much away. But in the book, when I quote friends, it's the one with the prom video. So you have Ross and he's, he's young Ross. He's like fir- first year of college. He's got that gross little mustache going. Like it's, you know, it's very much a flashback, but his love for Rachel is unmistakable. Like it's, it is very clear from the beginning. So he, he had a crush on her well before that was on her radar. He makes that love known to her And then she rejects him. She rejects him out of instinct. And that's a common theme in a lot of love stories. Maybe not necessarily a horror film, but certainly the the love story narrative, you'll usually see that. Where the hero, he sees her first. She's the apple of his eye, so to say. And when he finally presents his love and makes it known, she rejects out of instinct. And there's a number of reasons why. There's not, you know, one cookie cutter story, but it could be something internal, like maybe she's never been pursued. And so she just doesn't trust it. Like you see that example in Adrian. I know it's an older movie, but in, you know, Rocky Balboa is pursuing Adrian and Adrian's never been pursued. She's like, she works at a pet shop. She wears glasses and, you know, Rocky makes his interest known to her. And she's like, what is this? And like literally slams doors on him. Like, we're not doing this, Rocky. So it could be that. It could be maybe she's been pursued a lot and has been wounded, where you have all these 
guys, all these would-be princes that are coming, like professing their love and all sounds good. And then they all leave after having their fun. So this new guy comes along, Ross, and he presents his love and the love and just like, get out of town, man. Like I've seen this act before. Hmm. She rejects his love. The hero, in this case, Ross, in this example, the true hero, the man who has true love, or again, it could be a, a female protagonist for her respective love interest, will stick around. They will. The author of that story writes in some sort of conflict where she rejects his love initially. That then gives the hero an opportunity to prove his love even further. And so if we translate this into Bible, it's no longer friends, the role in the prom video. Like we're, we're, we're with the nation of Israel in the wilderness. We're in the cycle of the judges. We're in your heart and mine. God presents his love. It could be some sort of Old Testament miracle, parting of the Red Sea, or it could be we're here in 2023 and you have a Bible. You have 31,000 sentences from God. Like here's, here's his love letter to you. He has presented his love and yet we reject like, ah, no, like that can't possibly be true. God can't possibly be that close. Mm. But again, that cycle, she doubts it. He proves it. She doubts it. He proves it bit by bit. Again, if you remember what happened with Rachel and Ross, right? She saw the prom video. She saw that he was willing to be her date that night. And even though they were in a fight for the first 20 minutes of the episode, how how does the episode end? Sorry, this is a total spoiler alert. So (laughs) if you're listening to this, hopefully, you know, you're a friend's aficionado and you already know the one. Hopefully most people have seen friends. (laughs) But how does that episode end with Rachel kissing him? Mm -hmm. Like she is now completely bought in. Why? Because she's seen his love is genuine. She's like, I can't, I can't believe you are willing to do that for me. So she goes from rejecting minute one to like, now they're an item. Now they're together minute 24 of the episode, right? She doubts it. He proves it. She doubts it. He proves it. And ultimately she says yes, because she can trust him. Mm-hmm. His intentions are good. So sorry if I'm getting long-winded. No. I'm just a little, little fired up about Rachel and Ross. <laughs> no, I love it. Well, and even just thinking the way that God pursues us and his unrelenting pursuit. I think about your experience of writing the book and in the process of writing it and having shared this super low moment that you experienced at the beginning and then the process of writing and post publishing, how have you seen God within your own life continue to reassure you? I'm pursuing you. I'm showing up. Like you can trust me. Is there any like tangible things that you can share there? Yeah. I think for me, it was the first step into a reality that most Christians will have to face. And what I mean by that is at some point in your life, you will be faced with a situation that forces you to decide, am I worshiping the God of scripture or am I worshiping the God of my circumstances? Because if God says that I'm near to the brokenhearted and I save the crushed in spirit, he says that that's in scripture. If he says that, but you don't feel it, which one is right? You have to decide. Yeah. 
So if you are brokenhearted and if you're a crushing spirit and you don't feel God, it's like, well, uh, Proverbs, like God says he's close to me. Yeah. For me, as far as the fallout, like what, what happens after that moment in chapter one, what happens after your book is published, it's been a really eye-opening experience for me in that I was faced with that question. What God do I love? What God am I chasing? Is it the God of my circumstances? The God that's more like a genie in a bottle that just kind of gives me what I want and every time I pray, it's a yes? Or do I worship the God of scripture? Let's say that you have some sort of setback, some disappointment. You don't make the big leagues. Your business goes under. Your relationship ends. What do you do with that? Is God still good? Is what he says in scripture still true? If you were getting every yes and life was awesome, you might not have to ask yourself that question. Totally. Here's like, well, yeah, of course God's good. I have a ton of money in the bank. A girl that loves me, white picket fence, like, mm-hmm. duh, God is good. Look at my life. Mm-hmm. Is that faith as strong as the faith who's lost everything and still says, yeah, God is good? Because then that that is when Satan starts to whisper in your ear, you're an idiot. Are you kidding me? Look at your life. How can you possibly say God is good? It's like what he was you know, saying to, saying to Jesus or saying about Job. When Job was suffering, like, surely now Job will curse you, God. Mm-hmm. I think God allows those moments for us mm-hmm. to, to prove our faith, but also to strengthen our faith. Because mm-hmm. when you don't have the circumstances, you then have to decide, what do I actually believe? It's a painful moment. It's a painful thing. Like, nobody would wish that, but it's so, so good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. When I even just think back to moments that I've noticed a gap in when I felt God's presence that was super close when I was going through something, just the desperate God, where are you? And more often than not, in hindsight, you look back and you're like, okay, God, that was a season of my life that I didn't feel you, but I knew that you were there and this is what you were doing. And I think as we age, we can actually look back and be like, God, you were faithful all along. But the moment that it gets hard, if we just throw in the towel and give up, like we're not going to experience that like resolve to stay in the long haul and that grit and determination that that scripture says builds perseverance and hope and faith, you know? Yes. Well, and I'd also say in those seasons where I felt like God wasn't speaking to me, my prayer life exploded. It's like I was just running to him. Mm -hmm. And if we look at our human relationships, let's say you have a loved one, you you spend all this time with them, and then you know they move to a different state or they go to college or they go to war or something. Just think about how much you're longing for them increases when you don't have them every day. Maybe in those seasons where God removes his presence from us, again, just for a season, not forever, he's doing the same thing Mm -hmm. where he's like stoking that fire where we just have this this yearning for him, Mm -hmm. this longing for him. It forces us to our knees versus if we hit the lottery, didn't think we needed God, we, you know, do the quick 
30 second token prayer. God, thank you for this food. Amen. Like he, do, yeah. he doesn't want that. And that's not the best for us. Mm-hmm. If we're in a season where we're not hearing from him, I, I guess I would ask you, hasn't that been your experience too? Or like you just, Lord, where are you? I need you. I want you. Yeah. Like your prayer life just explodes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I remember this one summer that it was just a really challenging summer of just God, where are you in so many levels? And I was teaching fitness at the time. So I was teaching early, like 5 a.m. classes. So I would be done working by like 10 (laughs) a.m. And it was a summer. So I'd have the whole day to just like sit in like what I felt was the misery of existence. But that summer, like I grew in my relationship with the Lord so much over like the course of three or four months and Mm. experienced such a deep level of intimacy with the Lord that I had never experienced before. And actually through that had written a number of devotionals that got to share with a wealth of other people of like, this literally took blood, sweat, and tears. Like my tears are over all of these words for other people to experience. And had I not been through that really, really hard place, I also wouldn't be able to experience knowing what it's like to need God as much as I needed air. And I actually look at some of my heroes of faith, and those are the people that have gone through the hardest things and still say that God is faithful. And it's so beautiful. So I can definitely relate (laughs) I want to honor your time. I also want to honor our listeners' time. I have a couple of questions left for you. I'm sure I could ask a dozen more questions, but how would you encourage somebody today about like God being on our side and for us? And we're just talking about, yes, there's moments that God doesn't feel close or doesn't feel near, but like my encouragement is like God is always there. He never leaves us, never abandons us. Like any thoughts to encourage somebody that's listening today going, "Mm, I feel forgotten. And God, when is this going to happen? When you said the, I feel forgotten thing, the first verse that came to mind was just what Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So there's two sides to that. And I feel this myself. Mm -hmm. It's like, I have these mornings where I wake up and maybe I'm tired from the day before or whatever it is. Like I'm waiting for that paradise to arrive. I need to remind myself that longing will always be there and it will always be unfulfilled Hmm. to a degree Mm -hmm. because we're not made for this world. If you're going through something, if you've been betrayed, if you, you know, lost a job or whatever it is, God puts people in our lives, friends, family, believers to help weather that storm and and shoulder the load. But just know you will have trouble. Like Mm -hmm. It will happen and it won't stop. Mm -hmm. It just won't. I'm kind of preaching to myself here. Like it won't, it won't stop, but I have overcome the world. We got to remember that second half, like that paradise that we want, we will have. Again, I, I don't want to negate or somehow diminish the pain that you might be feeling because pain still hurts. Mm -hmm. It still hurts. Like, I I don't want to say like, Oh, you know, be tough, look forward to heaven. Like it's still, it still hurts. And I think we're supposed to be there for one another. The Bible literally says to bear 
one another's burdens. Mm -hmm. I think that draws us closer in relationship, but also we got to remember where our hope is. Like there is nothing wrong with saying, man, I can't wait to be in heaven. Yeah. Like I, I, that seems kind of cringy, but like, what did Paul say? To live is Christ, to die is gain. I can't wait to die. That's where the cringy part comes in. It's like, whoa, that's pretty morbid. It's like, no, you can, you can enjoy your life here, but that's where real life begins. That's the life that I was made for. And so if you're stuck in that, man, I lost my job, lost the relationship, whatever, this life is not as it should be. That is absolutely true. Take that to the Lord and say, God, I cannot wait to be with you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. My eyes are set on things above. I cannot wait to be with you. Mm-hmm. That's a good word. Thank you. Okay. So how can people get your book and learn more about you, Bob? The book is available on Amazon. You could also go to my website, bobwheatley.com. I give away a number of free resources as well with the book. So if you buy a hard copy, you also get the audiobook completely free. So there's a QR code right on the first couple pages. Just scan it. And as long as you can handle you know, another five hours of my voice, uh, you'll have the audiobook version for free as well. So we have everything laid out for you, just bobwheatley.com. If you want to connect on social, awesome. Love to hear from you. It's just at Bob Wheatley. Yeah, love to connect. I love it. Well, listeners, those tuning in, I will tag his website and social, all the things in our show notes. So make sure you give him a follow. Last but not least, what place are you between? And then how can we pray for you? I would say kind of what we were just talking about there with the Apostle Paul, to live as Christ, to die as gain. I am one of those weird Christians who says, yeah, I I can't wait to die. So the place that I am between is this world and the next. And that's the case for all of us. Like we're here living in this world, but we're not made for this world. We're made to be with God, not separated from him. So I would say, and I'd love the prayer for myself, but also it would apply to all of the listeners where another thing that Paul says is he talks about finishing the race. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There are some people that fall away because of the difficult things. Mm -hmm. Difficult things are still difficult. There's no question about it. I don't want to belittle that. So I guess our prayer in a word would just be for courage. Give us courage as we stay in this place in between earth and heaven, Mm -hmm. life now, life then. Help us to be faithful in that, faithful to God's truth, to not fall away to fight through the trials, to thank God for the trials. And eventually one day we'll be with him forever. Yeah, that's so good. Well, we will definitely be praying for you. And I just think your your writing, your book is such a great resource for people. So listeners, I'm positive that you gained some valuable insight today and just want to encourage you to get yourself a copy of Bob's book. And Bob, thanks for sharing a little bit more of your story with us. And I'll be excited to see your journey continue. So awesome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for uh, talking Rachel and Ross with me. And yeah, thanks so much for having me on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Listeners have a great week. We will catch you again next time on The Places Between. 
are here cheering you on, friend. You just finished another episode of the Places Between podcast. If you want to access more, be sure to subscribe or visit theplacesbetween.com to learn more about our guests, episode sponsors, upcoming retreats, and more. Like Stay in the Story, a 25-day devotional all about staying in your story while you wait on your dreams, on God, and on life to come to fruition. And lastly, if you're looking for an online community of people who also want to transition well, then come say hi over on Instagram at The Places Between. As always, thanks for taking time to dive into The Places Between. Until next time, keep enjoying that journey.